back from vacation is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us a couple of weeks ago. And we're missing a couple of episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. We switched to a new hosting service recently that shouldn't impact anything on your end, but we're working on getting those caught up. So thanks to those of you who let us know that they were out there. But uh, I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. We're both fresh off of vacation. We're both still mentally on vacation, I think, from talking to each other. But Spring is in the air. Spring football is back. Penn State started its spring practice on Wednesday, and we got to check out a few things, but we've missed a lot of things. So first off, Tyler, what do we miss from your vacation? <laughs> well, it was a beautiful week of uh, pretty much no cell phone service, which is something that you and I rely on a lot day to day in this industry. Uh, cell phone is always in our hands, always making phone calls, always exchanging messages, and it's just part of the job. So to, to step away from that for a while was nice. Uh, the old cars were as advertised. Uh, an interesting place, uh, Cuba, Sean. I, I would certainly say um, different than anywhere else I've been, but it's good to be back here. And uh, spring is is sort of here. It's, you know, the forty degree weather isn't great, but uh, it looks like we got some sixties coming up down the line. And and we got to see these guys in the field yesterday. And I hope you and the family had fun in the sun too. Oh, absolutely. It was a good time. And the screen time is amazing because Apple tracks that stuff now. And I think I was down like 50% screen time, which is really uh, eye-opening and disturbing when you think about it. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's the job. So uh, what did we miss when we were gone? Well, Penn State has a new special teams coordinator. Phil Galliano was replaced by Joe Lorig. We got a chance to uh, sit down with Joe Lorig yesterday uh, at the press conference. Details guy, impressive. You know, he went over a lot of things, didn't, you know, gloss over the fact that Penn State special teams was pretty bad last year in several areas. And, and he, you know, he got what I liked. He got down to details. He got down to, you know, missing kicks from the, the same hash and, and talking about the coverage mistakes and breakdowns like that. So excited to see what he can do. We were practiced yesterday. They spent a bunch of their time on special teams, which is typical. But, you know, it's, uh, I'm excited to see what a special teams specific guy can do. We talked about it on the last issue. They could have gone a couple different ways with that hire. You could bring in a younger guy who, you know, kind of uh, force into special teams. You could promote a guy maybe like a Larry Lewis or something uh, who's an analyst with the team right now. They didn't go that route. And I think that's, you know, a very wise decision to not go that route. Joe Lorig's a guy that's got an extensive special teams resume. He was at Memphis for the last three years. Their special teams among the best in the country. And, uh, you know, Penn State, you're, what you see, what you saw from him at Memphis, you saw kick return touchdowns, but I think more importantly, you saw no return touchdowns against them. So this is a broad reaching topic for him. This is something that he's concentrating on and he'll dabble in defense a little bit, but you know, for him to go all in on special teams, I think and you, you can see dividends from, uh, paid from that right away. Yeah, sometimes there's a danger in looking too much into first impressions, but I got to say, in both the case of Lorig uh, and and the and Jared Parker, the wide receivers coach, our first press conferences with each of those guys, impressive. I thought they carried themselves well. Um, you know, Lorig, you know, spent a lot of time talking about his history with Franklin, some stuff I didn't know. Um, you know, obviously those two back in the late '90s were actually roommates uh, at, at Idaho State, and they've both come a long way from that point. It was interesting. Lorig said he always had the sense that momentum was building towards those two working together. Just was a matter of timing on both sides, and and it was set up here where and he kind of joked that he had just you know finalized on a house in, at Texas Tech, and he was just getting comfortable. And you know it, it was kind of joking at the you know what a lot of people were pointing to that he spent uh, about what. Uh, a few few days it felt like probably at Texas Tech before he left for another job at Penn State but it was one that he couldn't turn down and uh, folks uh, get ready to hear about a new hashtag on social media 
uh, in relation to Penn State. It's going to be hashtag CTG. Uh, change the game. That is the motto that Lorig brings with him to the special teams room. Uh, that's something that he has really harped on during his years. Uh, change the game. And he made a point to say, when you're looking to elevate an entire football program in terms of performance, there is no quicker way to, to chip away at that than to make sure that you are on point with special teams. And he says they will be on point with special teams. And of course, the first practice session that we saw, and we'll talk about that here on the show, first practice session we saw, first session of that, uh, special teams was the focus. Well, Penn State special teams did change the game last year as well, but that's one they want to forget about. Uh, you're just looking at the at what we've seen publicly from these guys, and they haven't coached what they've coached one practice so far with Penn State, but seems like a pretty immediate upgrade at, at special teams from from Lorig, uh, from Phil Galliano, and then of course at wide receivers from Jared Parker, from David Corley. So. Um, really interested to see what those guys can do because those are two units that had forgettable 2018 seasons and they'll look to improve upon that. Moving along, would we miss quarterback commitment Micah Bowens uh, from Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman, one of the top schools in the country. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere. I was sitting in a musical in Eisenhower Theater and I started just, my phone just started blowing up like crazy. I thought it was George Campbell that committed it. Uh, obviously, that was uh, a day later and we'll get to that as well. But Micah Bowens, just a different, uh, it sort of, sort of goes along with the skill set that, that Penn State has brought in the last couple of classes. Very, very good athlete. Has a 4.53 Nike uh, laser time on the 40, so you know he can scoot. Has some work to do as a passer, but you know he, he's gotten the job done. I don't. I think he's he's probably ahead of where Michael Johnson Jr. was as a passer, uh, like you know th- at this time last year. So. Interesting pickup, a little shorter, uh, 5'11", probably. I think he might be listed at six foot, but I think he's probably 5'11". Um, just visited once with uh, with his teammates, including a five-star tight end, um, who, who can't be forgotten about. But uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a pickup. When you were talking about Penn State's 2020 quarterback situation, you didn't know where it was going to come from. Anthony Richardson in Florida, the, the Florida decommit, looked like the most realistic guy. He backed away from his commitment at Florida when it looked like Carson Beck was going to commit to uh, to Florida, and then all of a sudden Carson Beck just spins that right around and commits to Georgia out of seemingly nowhere just a couple days after getting the Bulldogs' offer. So crazy things happening in 2020 quarterbacks, but from, from that class standpoint, you, you've got your 2020 guy in the hole right now, and that can go a long way in, in stabilizing that 2020 class. And it's going to be really interesting to see what those dynamics are. I mean, it's not like it's a quarterback committee who's going to be able to get to campus for every single event. This kid's in Las Vegas uh, and huge to get a commitment like this with a guy who had plenty of power five options after his first visit to Happy Valley. You mentioned one of the top tight ends in the entire country is his teammate, a class lower. So there's time to work on that. But you're opening doors uh, at different schools here, IMG Academy, Bishop Gorman. Uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, but you've got a, a bunch of kids from one of the top programs in Southern California coming to campus in, in a few days. Those are the kind of programs that you want to develop, you know, relationships that are long term where, you know, players recruit other players and coaches are familiar with your coaches. And Bowens is continuing a long line, as you well know, Sean, at Bishop Gorman. Tate Martell, who's now with the Miami Hurricanes, was there. Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's at UCLA. Uh, Randall Cunningham's son, Randall Cunningham Jr. Uh, went on to play FBS football at quarterback out of that school as well. So the history matches up there, and it is a high-stakes thing. I think from a quarterback standpoint, being the quarterback of Bishop Gorman's different than being the quarterback at 99.9% of schools in the country. Uh, big reason is because of that lineage and, and the guys you're trying to replace year after year. Uh, but I think also look at their schedule. It is a national schedule. They're playing the best of the best. 
week to week. They're getting on flights. They're they're traveling across the different regions. So you're not going to get a quarterback who who is going to have to really adjust to bright lights. You're going to get somebody who's should be pretty comfortable in that setting. And, and here's what he did in 14 games last year in that spotlight uh, with Las Vegas uh, with Bishop Gorman. Uh, he goes for. 2,800 yards passing, 29 touchdowns through the air on 65% completion, runs for almost 1,000 yards, another 15 scores on the ground. So we're talking about a player who produced uh, you know, 44 touchdowns in 14 games for Bishop Gorman last year, and a guy that I think for Penn State to get him this early in the cycle, get quarterback taken care of, very impressive pickup for them. And continues uh, ob- an obvious theme where you've got quarterbacks who can move. Michael Johnson was one of the more uh, notable dual-threat quarterbacks in the last class. We know Taquan Rob- uh, Roberson can move around a little bit too, uh, but it's kind of a track record here too. They're not necessarily prioritizing size. They got three quarterbacks on the roster added this winter uh, with, with, of course, Roberson and Johnson and a, and a walk-on. None of those guys are taller than six foot two. In fact, two of them are listed at five eleven on this roster update we just saw. And you've got another, you know, six foot five eleven quarterback coming in here. So interesting group of quarterbacks that they're beginning to assemble there for the future. Poor Taquan Roberson, man. He he was he was six foot so close. And I know and, I saw that. All, it was so funny because <laughs> all the freshman numbers they, they they seemingly rounded down because I've you know I've seen the numbers and they're you know Brenton Strange is not six three. If Brenton Strange is six three, yeah, Strange yeah. Is six three. I'm I've been living a lie my whole life. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's really funny to say. Real quick, Darnell Washington is his is his uh, t- is his teammate who's uh, not at Bishop Gorman. He's at Desert Pines in Las Vegas, but they're seven on seven teammates. He visited with with Bowens and a couple of other guys earlier. I, I guess we'll call it late late winter, earlier this spring. Um, and, and Penn State all of a sudden in the mix for him as well. So it's one of those things that really on paper doesn't make a ton of sense. Five star kid from the West, you know, coming in. But Penn State has has opened its doors a little bit more in the West Coast. They have a couple guys coming in from California that will get to in our recruiting segment coming up. So you never know what's going to happen. But Darnell Washington, a five star number uh, 15 in the 24 seven sports rankings in the class of 2020. So, you know, just uh, Sean, it, could, it could help. Great point on the seven on seven circuit, too. I think a lot of people overlook how big that is, especially because it's not a big deal in the Northeast. It's not something that's like at the forefront. But in Florida, you know, you got Derek Wingo and, and John Dunmore teaming up on seven on seven eventually ending up together in Happy Valley. And here you go. I mean, you're kind of tapping into that 7-on-7 scene. Whoever the quarterback is at Bishop Gorman, if he's playing 7-on-7 football on the West Coast, he's going to be on a pretty stacked team. Uh, Notable example there with Washington. But again, I think Penn State opening some doors that just weren't there for them, uh, just a matter of, you know, months or years and, and bishop gorman guys have shown you know in the last couple of years that they'll travel for school and that's a big thing when you're talking penn state they sent guys you know to their last two quarterbacks ucla and ohio state of course tate martell's at miami now and i think randall cunningham's son was the guy there before that so you know they've, they've gone a little bit of uh, of other places there's no real you know unlv is right there but that doesn't really move the needle for those kids so um, so, so Micah Bowens, I think a quality get, uh, you know, next level athlete has some work to do on his delivery, has some work to do as a passer, but you know, if you can expand that, uh, that reach and, you know, bring in a quarterback from somewhere else that, that works out pretty well. The guy that we thought that commitment was, as I was sitting in the, uh, you know, Eisenhower auditorium watching beautiful, the Carol King story, which was very good, by the way. Um, George Campbell is a guy, you know, uh, earlier that night we reported that he was on campus, former Florida State wide receiver. Uh, he committed the next day to Penn State, former five star, um, you know, 
didn't really turn out that way at Florida State. Dropped a lot of passes. Really athletic guy. Uh, has dealt with numerous injuries. Has had core injuries, which have sort of derailed his career. Never lived up to anywhere close to the production that people thought he could do, go going into it. But, you know, it's another body. It's got sort of a replacement for Jawan Johnson, who's off to Oregon. So, I mean, it, it's really a bonus at this point. You look at Penn State's wide receiver room, a lot of youth, a lot of guys that, you know, have some, you know, KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson have experience, but Justin Schroeder and Daniel George really do not. So it's a mixed bag there. You're adding a veteran presence. You're adding a legitimate athlete. I mean, this kid, you know, tested off the charts when he was in high school, which I think uh, played into his rating a little bit, but uh, struggled with drops. So everything from him, in my mind, is a bonus at this point. Yeah, I mean, George Campbell, I remember, you know, getting my first conversation with him, 2000. 14 opening or whatever it was out in Nike World headquarters in Oregon and the kid was a blur on the field. I think he was a 4-3-6 40-yard dash kid and for his size matching that with a 6 foot 3 frame at the time. Uh there was a reason he was a five star but even then there was inconsistencies uh you know that was kind of the the dig at him and when you read the scouting reports when when you reviewed kind of the takes on Campbell a lot of it was based on him coming together as a polished product at receiver and transitioning from an outrageously talented athlete to a very good receiver. And, you know, injuries were part of that. But, you know, Florida State fans, you know, if you read some of the responses and reactions to, to the announcement that he would be completing his career somewhere else, you know, they referenced some key drops during his career and, and kind of some unfulfilled expectations. You look at the receivers who are around him, Sean, the other five-star receivers in that 2015 class, Calvin Ridley making himself a lot of money in the NFL right now for the Atlanta Falcons. Deion Kane had a really strong career uh, at Clemson, ended up with the Indianapolis Colts. And then Christian Kirk is kind of the heir apparent to Larry Fitzgerald with the Arizona Cardinals as their top receiver target. So he's a guy who has kind of obviously fallen down uh, the pecking order in terms of this group four or five years later. But he's got a year here, very much like Jawan Johnson at Oregon, where no matter what happened at his last landing spot, he's still got the size, still has the athletic intangibles can put it together here with his last chance in college, uh, could wash away the, a lot of some of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas and put himself in a position for a professional opportunity next year. Yeah, he was a 4-3-6 guy. These are verified results from, I guess, Nike or something, uh, the opening. 4-1-2 shuttle, which for his size, I mean, this kid's a 6-3, you know, he's probably, I mean, he's well over 200 pounds by now. Um, and then a 37-inch vertical. So physically, he's got it. Uh, the ball skills... Not exactly uh, what you're looking for. I mean, he's, he's had some key drops at Florida State. But, hey, fresh start might help Juwan Johnson. Fresh start may help George Campbell. You never know. Like I said, I think it's all bonus at this point if you get anything out of Campbell. Um, so so we'll see what that, what can happen. Of course, uh, they're still uh, looking at uh, Eric Kuma from Virginia Tech, who's scheduled to take a, an official visit in April. And we'll see what happens on the grad transfer front from there. While you were gone, we got a trip to the weight room. Uh, obviously, it's one of those things every winter that we look forward to that we can overanalyze and sort of put out there and people can overreact to. So that's always fun. Um, but no, a couple guys standing out, and this was a smaller group than usual. Typically, when we go in there, it's the whole team doing their squat tests, and you go around and you and you see different things. This time, you walked in, we saw some vertical jumps, which was pretty cool to see, and then they moved on to the squat rack to do some some squat max testing. A couple guys that stood out right away, or a couple guys that have you know turned heads in their redshirt season. Rasheed Walker, who I've penciled in as the number one left tackle for Penn State right now, has had a tremendous offseason. I forgot how big this kid is. I mean, we, we both covered him in high school and he was a tall lanky kid but you know he carried 275 280 very well and you didn't notice it I mean he's up to probably about 315 right now 317 and he's just a massive dude 
Yeah, I think, you know, we called him the skinny 290 or whatever when he got to campus. Nothing skinny about the kid anymore. Uh, He's really looking the part of what you projected him as. And and that's just with one year. Think about where he could be, you know, two years down the line. So a lot there. uh, That's been the word on on Rasheed Walker. He's a guy who was an all-state performer on both sides of the trenches in high school. And and you just knew that if you put him in a situation, incubated environment in college football to focus on offensive tackle and, and let your group led by Dwight Galt put in that work, this was what you thought could happen. And I'm with you uh, at this point. I think, you know, if he comes through as healthy here in the spring and carries that momentum into the summer, really like his chances to be on that first team lineup at, at tackle. He is that prototypical tackle that you need to handle the athleticism, uh, speed and length that you're going to see come off the edge in the Big Ten. Speaking of a skinny 290, a skinny 300, Anthony Wigan, junior college offensive lineman, uh, is going to slot him in at tackle as well. He's a guy that I think is going to, you know, he's going to take to the weight room a little bit, and it's going to take a little bit of time to get him caught up. Uh, he came in, you know, he's got three years to play too. I don't see him being a redshirt guy, but but still, he could use some time under Dwight Galt. He's made some strides so far, and I think the thing to remember about someone like Anthony Wigan, who who I don't think is would be ready to start right now. That time under Dwight Galt's going to be big, but also this is a kid that can move. I mean, you take a look at some of the junior college guys that come in. Some of them are ridiculously strong, and some of them can't move. You'd rather take the guy that can move over the guy that can lift, uh, you know, that can bench 600 pounds. So um, it's uh, it's one of those things where it might take a little bit of time for him to to find his way into the groove. But Wiggins, a guy that's going to get some reps at tackle this uh, this spring, and we'll see what can happen with uh, with that. Uh, another guy that jumped out, uh, quite literally, Jason Awe, uh, his his vertical man. Uh, we saw him test. We know he can test off the chart. He's a, he's going to be you know one of Bruce Feldman's freaks coming up this year. Um, but uh, this is a guy that uh, really has just continued. We continue to see that potential. Will we see that come onto the field this spring? Uh, that, that remains to be seen. But he'll have the opportunity to do so. But just an athletic freak. When you put him and guys like Micah Parsons together. I mean, the, the you see the difference in the 2018 class than the, the, the classes that predated it. Yeah, the reason why there was so much excitement for Jason Away, at least from my perspective, coming out of high school was twofold. One, uh, the obvious athletic uh, intangibles that are simply, uh, you know, you, you can't develop them on your own. you got to be born with some of this stuff. And Jason, I know he put in a lot of work, but he's out there flying around with a sub-4, 540-yard dash leaping around, dunking basketballs during his high school career. And then he takes football. And the second aspect, you know, the athletic stuff is great. There's a lot of athletic guys who get their chance to play college football, uh, even if they're not super productive in high school, even if you're not sure what they're going to become. But Jason Oway brings the mindset. You know, those guys who are super athletic and go to a campus and don't have the mindset to get better and really hone their craft, you may have a guy three, four years down the line is still just an athlete. You don't know where he fits in on the football field. In the case of Jason Away, he said from the get-go, one of the main priorities of his recruitment was to find a defensive line coach who was going to sink his teeth uh, into the development long-term, and he was going to act like a sponge and absorb that. The initial feedback from Sean Spencer has been very positive, overwhelmingly positive about that aspect. He says Jason has embraced what he's thrown his way. That is impressive. So I think behind the scenes, He's doing his homework, and then obviously, no surprise, the physical development is happening in front of our eyes, uh, quite literally, with the open weight room session. And he's going to have a chance to to get reps this year. You know, Shane Simmons and Tommy Stevens were both doing something when we were at that weight room session, which is newsworthy in itself. But I think you know both will be limited this spring. 
Another guy that really stuck out, John Sutherland. And he's, uh, you know, you kind of forget about him at times, even though safety is such an important thing this spring. And I wrote about it uh, this week on on Lions 24-7, breaking down the safety position. I think a legitimate question mark. You got Garrett Taylor there, but, you know, Garrett Taylor has has been up and down. But Sutherland's the guy that you look to beside him with, uh, along with Lamont Wade, that are going to compete for that. And this kid, when you talk about just putting him in the weight room, I mean, this is a kid that uh, was was squatting in the 400s for high reps. I mean, you shouldn't do that as a safety. So uh, probably one of the overlooked pound-for-pound guys when you talk about uh, what, what, uh, what those guys can bring to the table in the weight room. So excited to see what John Sutherland can do. Um, and, uh, you know, I think probably has the, the, the lead going into the, into the spring over Lamont Wade, but we'll see how that one plays out. Jaquan Brisker arriving early May, by the way, so that could change some things at that position. Moving on uh, very quickly, NFL Combine, uh, they did not have that on in Cuba from what you told me, so you missed it. You know, I think uh, who helped themselves the most? It, it, you know, it's debatable, but I think Miles Sanders, I think, is an obvious choice right here. So this is a guy that, that really, you know, probably improved a little bit on the testing numbers that we expected. But when you when you look at his tape, when you combine that with the testing numbers that he could do, I think he made himself some money and moved up maybe around in this draft. And another guy I think maybe turned some heads, Kevin Givens. You know, I think a lot of people had him designated as you know undrafted free agent from what I saw at least leading up to the combine. Now there's a little bit more noise about him about being a potential good value pick later in the draft at, at, on the defensive line. You know, showed off some some quality athleticism there. Um, so something that's noteworthy. Really quickly, Sean, I know we got a lot to get to on the show, but just to go back to Sutherland. Uh, Got a tip on him when he transferred to Episcopal uh, in Virginia, leaving uh, his hometown in Canada. Someone had told me this kid's going to be like Bob Sanders, but three or four inches taller. For those who remember Bob Sanders, super hard hitting, five foot eight safety for the Colts, who was one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Everybody remembers Bob Sanders because every safety that's under 5'10 has been compared to Bob Sanders <laughs> at one point or another. So, anyway, well, go on. Well, Sutherland, Sutherland doesn't fit that description. Obviously, he's listed 5'11", 203. He's a bigger guy. But that has been the M.O. that we've heard, you know, dating back from his high school days. Marcus Allen, when Marcus Allen was asked, you know, who's the next man up at safety? He mentioned Jonathan Sutherland, and, and he went right to saying that he hits like a train. And now here we are. I, I, I'm really curious about Sutherland because you're right. He, the eyeball test, he, he passes with flying colors, and he has delivered some hits on the football field. That you just wonder if he can do that for 60 minutes and be that guy, it's going to be really hard to keep him off the football field. I agree. I agree. I, I like him a lot, and we'll see what, what he can do this spring. Uh, back to the combine, I think Ryan Bates helped himself. Amani uh, Oriware posted some numbers on Lions 24-7 last week about where he was when he came into the program and where he was when he left. This is a guy that came into the program benching, uh, I believe, a max of 230 pounds. And then a couple years later at the Combine, he did 16 or 17 reps of 225. So you think about that jump. It, 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 I was saying this to, I was talking to somebody in the program. And you look at the numbers when guys come in, and, and Saquon Barkley's always been a freak. Mike Kosicki's always been a freak. Those guys, Troy Opke's always been very fast. You know, those guys turn that, turn those Combines into, you know, moving up the draft board. But when you look at the development of somebody, you look at the development of Amani Oriware, where he was when he came in versus where he was when he left, and that's just an astounding thing. This is this is something you put on a on a little placard to send out to uh, to recruits and and say this is how we develop guys because you know the, the Saquon numbers are great, the Kasiki numbers are great, but when you can show physical development like they showed with Amani over the last couple of years, and then put the tape beside it, and he's going to you know move up. 
be a set, probably a second round pick. May, I don't know if he can sneak into the late in the first round. He's got the length to do so, and his testing numbers were good as well. But you see the development. This is something that they want to squeeze out uh, when they're recruiting these, uh, these defensive backs in the next couple of years. Anytime they have a junior day or official visits on campus, uh, you know, TVs throughout the facilities, they should just be rolling the NFL combine footage, you know, cut the best Penn State stuff, have that playing with the volume up because let's face it, I mean, Penn State, Dwight Galt really, really have established that brand year after year and, and nothing indicates that that's going to stop in, in the years ahead. You know, you see how Penn State's recruiting uh, at a higher level year by year. You'd think that would equate. Uh, to probably a, another volume of, of high NFL talent as these guys develop. And I think it really points to there is not a complacency element in this program, whereas you sometimes hear five-star prospects or these guys who have all the hype coming out of high school going to go to this campus, put in my three years of time, and get the hell out of there as soon as I can and get a paycheck. That's not going to fly at Penn State. Whether you're a five-star, three-star, your measurements, your, your intangibles, you get to campus, it's very clear they have a plan for you. And, and a lot of every school has a plan. But this one has proof in the pudding, and, and it's resulting in big paychecks for these guys as pros. When, he, when Amani arrived, he ran a 4.69. Uh, he ran a 4.47 at the Combine. He ran a 4.4 shuttle when he arrived, 4.16 at the Combine. So big-time jumps in numbers. I mean, I, I know it doesn't seem like a ton, but when you can, take, when you can shave two-tenths off of your 40 and um, you know, almost three-tenths off of your shuttle, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, what else did we miss? Cam Sullivan Brown was in the portal. Now he's back. He's practicing with the team. Um, really didn't make a ton of sense from a, from a logistical standpoint. Didn't have his, uh, his degree. So him coming back, not all that big of a surprise. NFL free agency. Some Penn State guys made some money this week. Uh, was down in Tampa last week hearing Donovan Smith talk about uh, his fancy steak dinner. So good for him. Uh, Adrian Amos, Jesse James, a couple other guys. Uh, Cam Cameron Wake continues to just amaze. And I think he, what, he signed a three-year contract with the Titans? Got a three-year deal, $23 million. That makes, uh, I think, three former Penn State players on that Titans defensive front. But Cameron Wake, I mean, I, I was going back and looking at his stats a little bit with Miami. Did not realize he was two sacks away from 100 sacks. And remember, this is a guy who had to start his professional career north of the border in the CFL. So for him to have 98 sacks with the Dolphins in, in 10 seasons, what a freaking career. And he's going to have you know time to build on that. And you get over that 100-sack threshold, you're going to start to get – uh, you know, uh, legacy talk about, you know, the mark you're leaving in the record book. So, so good for him. And uh, those three guys, Amos, uh, Smith, James, uh, they were all, you know, left after the first year under James Franklin. They were paternal recruits, of course, on the team when O'Brien came in. But those guys, uh, $103 million in contract total between those three. Um, Donovan Smith got a bunch of that. We know the guaranteed money is what really matters in all these cases. They all made out pretty well. Jesse James, out of those three, got the least amount of guaranteed cash going from the Steelers to the Lions. Still got $11 million. Pretty nice. I'd take it. I'd take it. Yeah. By the way, yeah, I'd take Cameron it. Wake turned 37 in January <laughs> and just signed a three-year deal. So good for him. He started his... Of course, he started his uh, pro career with the Giants in 2005 when I played with the BC Lions and just terrorized guys in Canada and just a tremendous career with the Dolphins. And, you know, it's, it's really cool to see, you know, the, the way that he bounced back and that's out At there. At that position, playing in deep into your 30s, that's that's like Julius Peppers is like the only guy I can think playing, of. Who's playing really into that. your 30s. I mean, that's that, that's an <laughs> right, accomplishment right. for some guys anymore. And that's, you know, he's he's banked a lot of money, hopefully, and he's he's done a heck of a job. 
Uh, on, unfortunately, the last thing we missed, Juice Scruggs. James Franklin said on Wednesday, Penn State will be without Juice Scruggs for the spring. He was in a car accident, presumably over spring break. Uh, it's the first I'd heard about it, so it's unfortunate. And we hope he is okay. It impacts the interior of the offensive line. We'll get to that in a little bit. But unfortunately, you're not going to see Scruggs, who, who this program, the guys in the, in the building right there, are very high on this kid. Yeah, echoing the sentiment, obviously hoping that, that Juice Scruggs uh, is is back and able to, to do whatever he, he wants to on the football field, in the classroom, uh, back to his old self as soon as possible. Uh, we had a lot of people, you know, asking, uh, at least I did on Twitter or on the message boards uh, after Franklin made that comment, you know, what are the, what's the deal? What's the details? We don't have those. You know, Franklin asked, you know, respect the privacy of the Scruggs family and Juice right now. Uh, but, you know, clearly... Uh, a, a tough situation for the kid, but uh, that's when it, hopes, when it helps to have over 100 teammates uh, that can be there for you and, and supportive of you and a support staff that Penn State has in place. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but he is a guy, like you said, uh, one of the finest linemen to come out of Pennsylvania in the, in the last few cycles, and they had high hopes for him, and they still do. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks, but uh, we hope he's okay. Recruiting's about to get busy again. Penn State has some guys on campus uh, right now, actually, as we're speaking. Uh, started bringing in guys for the first uh, first practice offered 2021 Aaron Armitage from Blair Academy, a place that you know very well, a place that Penn State knows very well. Jason Awe came from there. David Ajabo was a guy that's uh, you know at Michigan now. That the Penn State pursued as well, so um, you know it's another one of those guys, and he's got a leg up on those other two guys because the, those guys were not nearly on the radar as much as he was, or excuse me, as he is going into his junior season. So Penn State getting ahead of the game on Aaron Armitage, Theo Johnson. Uh, I would argue Penn State's top tight end target in the 2020 class arrived late uh, on Tuesday night. Was a practice on Wednesday, and this is a guy that you know Penn State's had to fight off. You know Michigan's there, and he went to Iowa, who obviously is putting maybe two guys into the first round as tight ends right now uh, in this in this draft class. Going to go down to Georgia. Always tough to beat Georgia. Miami's there. There's a lot of suitors there for the Canadian tight end. Penn State, I think, still doing pretty well with him though. So we'll see where that one comes. I think Johnson. You know, it, it, you don't want to put too much emphasis on tight end, but they, they've recruited well, and he continues to fit that mold that they're looking for. And as we said, a Canadian prospect, but someone who could very easily uh, have lunch in Michigan in a matter of minutes if he chose to do that. So uh, I think with Johnson, you know, seeing him in person on the practice field, surrounded by Power Five players, yeah, he he passes the eye test, no doubt about it. And 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 uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Blair Academy, and of course, I, I think that it, people don't realize how small that roster is. I was, I know, I was surprised the first time I went there. Spoke with their coach Jim Saylor about you know everyone's playing on both sides of the ball. They've got like 20 guys actually playing varsity, and you know to produce Jason Oway and then David Ajabo. And, and now here's another one coming up who gets a Penn State offer. Impressive. And, of course, Sailor, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that history with Franklin. They played college football together. So there is just a natural inclination for Penn State year after year to, to turn over any stones uh, at Blair Academy and make sure that they have identified any potential offers because uh, a nice pipeline set up there right now. Yes, it should be a, a busy couple of days. Um, some guys expected in this weekend, Jaden Dotton, uh, wide receiver from from uh, New England, and you know this is one that you know I think is trending Penn State's way has been trending Penn State's way for a while. Michigan is obviously a, a school that's that's still been around there, but still, I mean, this is an opportunity for Penn State to sort of reestablish itself 
Obviously, Julian Fleming's the top target at wide receiver, but Dotton is a you know a, a really really good prospect. They offered him at camp last summer, so another opportunity with Jaden Dotton. We thought that he might be maybe the first commitment in this class. Things have slowed down from that aspect, but still, Penn State with a, a pretty good shot there. Yeah, after his uh, his trip to Lash Bash last year, um, you know he made it a point to say he was definitely considering you know the the opportunity to become that initial commitment in a class and, and, and everything that comes with being commitment number one. Uh, obviously now we've moved on, there's five commitments, but I think with Jaden Dotton, a guy who's six foot three, um, I'm really impressed by just speaking to the kid. He comes off very well. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's from Massachusetts. He's in Connecticut. Uh, we know that Penn State has pulled a lot of talent out of New England to keep that going is a great thing. Uh, you know, Michigan, I, I think, is there. But to get him back on campus, I'm really curious on what his timeline looks like because last summer he sounded like somebody who was more leaning towards committing early-ish. Right. Uh, now he's going into where he can start taking official visits this spring. And uh, that's kind of the one unknown uh, that w- when one of us catches up with him, I'm curious to hear on what he thinks about a timeline, if he's going to take it the distance or if he's ready to wrap this thing up sooner. Yeah, and I think with these spring official visits, it changes a lot of things. So you're not really sure where some of these guys stand. I mean, it's been you know it's been a while since he's been back to campus, but to get him back, I think uh, you know he fits the profile for you know what you would expect in this Penn State class. Penn State getting a bunch of guys on campus from Don Bosco Prep in California, not in New Jersey. Um, so it will, this is this is a sort of a crazy thing because these are legitimate prospects. I mean, these are four, uh, I think, high four-star guys. Uh, Drake Metcalf is another guy that's coming in a little bit earlier, but D, he goes to Bosco as well. So Penn State maybe making you know some sort of stand in California. I don't think it's completely related to Joe Lorig, but they're certainly making an effort out there. And there's a bunch of kids coming in the next couple of days that, that sort of prove that. Yeah, and they wow, were they receptive from the get go about these offers? You know, there was that day in February where Penn State, I think, extended six offers in a single day uh, to, to players in the St. John Bosco program, uh, which is a perennial, you know, powerhouse that you're always going to go to for Power Five talent. Um, you know, and so coming to campus, had a chance to catch up with Bo Collins. Um, who is a 2021 receiver. He is considered a top 10 receiver in that class. When you look at 24-7 sports rankings, he's the highest rated guy out of this whole group. And uh, he was kind enough to give me some time. Uh, Very recently, it's going to be him. It's going to be defensive lineman Kobe Peppa. It's going to be cornerback James Smith and linebacker Court Williams. Those three, uh, aside from Bo Collins, are 2020 recruits. They all have an offer. And another one to watch here, Sean, Ernest Green. Does not have a Penn State offer, but he's six foot five. He's two hundred ninety pounds, and he's a freshman with offers from Oregon and Utah. According to Bo Collins, he'll also be heading to Happy Valley. Have to imagine when Penn State staff gets a chance to look at him in person, get to know him. You, you're not sure when you're ever going to get him back to campus. So Ernest Green to me is somebody that may be on kind of an offer watch based on that. You know, again, six foot five, two hundred ninety pound freshman with a couple of Power Five offers. And then, of course, uh, have confirmed now as well, Drake Metcalf, another St. John Bosco Jr. His offer came a little bit later in the process than those guys. It came on February 21st, I think about a week later. He will be on campus a little bit before. Those are guys who are getting to campus uh, early in the week, next week for their spring break. Metcalf coming to town uh, for the weekend with his father. Stanford trending in the crystal ball for him. But I'm telling you, Drake Metcalf will have a story up on 24-7 by the time this podcast is live. Someone who's very enthusiastic, excited to get to Penn State. And it's worth noting, his teammates are also going to Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame. They're making a bit of a road trip at a spring break, and it's going to start at Penn State. Drake Metcalf is flying across the country for one purpose, 
uh, to get to Happy Valley. He's not going to any other campuses. So that is notable. That, that was notable. I, we actually both talked to him sort of overlap by mistake, but uh, that was notable. And, and it does seem like a Stanford kid when you're talking to him. He, you know, he preached academics when you ask about Penn State, but for him to fly from California just to see Penn State, not to, you know, those guys from, from Vegas a couple of weeks ago, they flew, you know, I think, into Pittsburgh and saw Pitt and West Virginia and Penn State, you know, and, and that makes sense. Those guys do it. But for, for a guy to come from California to check things out uh, just at one school and then turn around and go home two days later, that's a, that's a heck of a trip to make. So um, Penn State's starting to get the uh, its official visit scheduled out uh, for the spring. Cole Brevard's coming in from, from Indianapolis, a defensive tackle priority there, who's been on campus before. And, and a guy that you talked to, uh, Florida commit Josh Griffiths, or excuse me, Florida decommit Josh Griffiths, uh, backed away from his commitment from Florida a couple of weeks ago. Florida State uh, trending, I think, in the crystal ball there. But Penn State has an opportunity to, to get him on campus, and he plans on being there a couple times. Yeah, this is essentially a case where it's a complete recruitment reset because Josh Griffiths committed to Florida a couple weeks into his sophomore season of high school. Uh, he recommitted to the program when they changed their coaching staff last winter. Uh, and now here he is, uh, you know, in, in winter after his junior year, reopening things. So he's got some catching up to do in terms of relationships with some of these other schools. But uh, he said it, it's been like night and day. All of a sudden, he's got all these new options, uh, all these new coaches he's in contact with. And, and one of them uh, is t- is Terry Smith, he says. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm sorry, Sean Spencer, uh, out of Penn State. And, and he says... Uh, you know, he's going to get to Penn State sometime uh, this spring. Um, he's not sure on the date, but he said he will definitely be at the uh, Michigan-Penn State whiteout game uh, this season. It's something that he's very sure about. Uh, I'd imagine, obviously, a commitment somewhere else could derail those plans, but he's locked in, he says, for that official visit. So something to, to look forward to in, to advance. And, of course, he is an IMG Academy kid. Uh, K.J. Hamler's out of there. Noah Kane's out of there. It's a place that you're always going to want to be able to sign kids out of because they produce so many Power 5 prospects every single year. Uh, so for Griffiths, important to note here, got a relationship with Jaywan Sider. Uh, Sider was on that Florida Gators staff when Griffiths committed to the Gators. He said he's uh, you know excited to, to continue to build that relationship with Sider. And he also says Noah Kane, very close. Uh, they speak consistently. Kane's pushing him to commit as soon as possible. And by the way, I've heard that a lot, that Noah Kane is – quickly become quite the recruiter for Penn State. Uh, I figured I'd throw that out there for a kid who was one of the later additions uh, to that recruiting class. And that's huge because he's got connections in Louisiana, Texas, and Florida. Well, you need those guys. And and it's one thing to hear from Micah Parsons, who's a Pennsylvania guy right down the road. But when you're coming from all those different places that he's coming from, it, it I think it, it weighs a little bit more for some of those guys that are coming up from Florida, coming up from Texas, Louisiana, things like that. So that's a, an important point to make as well. I think probably the thing that people are focused on more so than the guys that we're talking about visiting are the guys that are visiting elsewhere. And that's been, you know, a little concerning when you when you take into account that some of Penn State's tar- top targets who have been on campus, you know, for the most part this year, um, guys like Julian Fleming uh, visiting Clemson and Brian Bressy going to see Clemson, Georgia. He set an uh, official visit to Oklahoma the weekend of Penn State spring game. Um, so, so those are two, you know, two two guys at the top of the board going, uh, you know, not necessarily going elsewhere, but checking other schools out, and that's going to happen because they're five star guys and they should visit everywhere that they can. Um, guys like Chris Tyree checking out Notre Dame, um, Oklahoma. I think is getting an official from him as well. Jordan Morant, who Penn State uh, sort of. 
you know, ran the early crystal ball, got him on campus a bunch last year. Now he's checking out Ohio State, Michigan. He's also flown up in the rankings after a really, really good junior year. Uh, you can see guys like Derek Wingo pop up. You know, he's been to Miami a couple of times, so he probably will pop up at Florida and said he's taking other visits. And then, you know, Aaron Parks, a guy that we expected, you know, maybe to be in the class by now and probably could have been in the class by now had he not you know, miss the junior day with a funeral. Going to check out a bunch of Texas schools at the end of this month in Oklahoma. So, you know, I, concern might be a little bit of a strong word, but it's noticeable. Penn State really hasn't had guys on campus in, in the last month uh, b- before spring practice. They usually have their junior days, you know, one at the beginning of February, one middle to the end of February. You didn't have that second one this year, and I think it's 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 been noticeable following that trend. And what Derek Wingo is doing on the offseason camp circuit, Sean, you know, uh, Multiple camps, he's the linebacker MVP. I know he was pointed to in the 24-7 sports analysis of the openings Miami Regional as essentially the the, the alpha dog of the defensive group. Uh, Seven-on-seven circuit, which is extremely competitive in South Florida. He's also impressed. He made the all-tournament all team uh, f- for an Adidas event down there. So this is a guy who is, is really you know, proving that he is uh, among the, the most talented linebackers in, the, in this class. And, and for him, I think the offers are going to keep coming. The interest is going to keep coming. For a Florida kid, you know, uh, I'll always have a quick trip to some of those big Power 5 programs down there. Uh, and I think in the case of, uh, of Chris Tyree, you know, going into his sophomore year, he said point blank to me that he had the best relationship of any staff with Penn State. That feels like a forever ago now because he got the offer right after his freshman year at a Penn State camp. Now here he is you know, approaching the, the, the final stretch of his junior year, and, and things are really evolving. He's got Alabama, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. All three of those schools really seem to be players for him here. Uh, he's scheduled a couple official visits to those schools. Um, and I think now you know, people feel a little uncomfortable seeing these guys go elsewhere on these unofficial visits. Well, you know, get ready because there's going to be some challenges ahead for Penn State. You're going to see these guys on official visits posting pictures of how great of a time they're having, you know, telling reporters how much of an awesome time they had on other campuses. And it's going to be on Penn State to, to get them back to Happy Valley and, and to keep hammering away with their relationships. And you don't get guys like this easily, especially if they're not, you know, right here in your hometown. Uh, I know I know jo- Julian Fleming's, you know, 90 miles away. But but let's face it, these other guys, you know, there's a little bit of distance, a few hours, and, and you know, you can't really claim ownership and say these guys are in your backyard. So you're gonna have to earn these commitments, and this is part of the process. There's gonna be some uncomfortable moments, and uh, ultimately, though, I think you know, Penn State, you gotta kind of uh, be confident in the foundation you've laid with these guys, and in some cases, we're talking about like two years worth of foundation. Yeah, and it's not a gash, but there, I think there is some bleeding to to be stopped, and I think that's coming on the heels of the nine win season, and you know, sort of sucked sure. a little bit of the momentum out of there, especially you know with some of those top guys. So um, it's gonna be tough. They're gonna have to get guys back in the spring, and some of those will be officials, some of those will be unofficial. And it's just, uh, you know, the thing to remember here is the class is ahead of of where it was last year. I mean, you you look back to to, to where Penn State stood a year ago. They did not have five commitments in the class. And and that's one thing that I think, yeah, there was two of them. So I think there was... uh, a situation where the, the the new rule for the official visits was so cool and everybody wanted to wait. I think you still see some of that because some of those guys saw, you know, how much those 2019 kids or excuse, yeah, 2019 kids in, enjoyed their official visits. So I think some of that is going to sort of bleed over. So we'll see what happens. So Penn State looking to get some momentum back. You touched on Derek Wingo a little bit. I think that's a very interesting case because this is a this is a guy that popped onto the scene with a lot of offers. It, his athleticism really never questioned. You know, it was. How does he fit in? Does he have a position? 
uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has played him in a couple different spots. Of course, he projects as a linebacker. And this is a really interesting case because when back in the fall, there were schools that were tapping the brakes on him because his his junior tape really didn't show the you know you know a guy that would gonna was going to be a productive linebacker, a guy that could you know read keys and and play off his instincts and things like that. He was more of an attacking type guy. Uh, now, now all of a sudden he's blowing up on the camp circuit and college coaches do pay attention to these things. I know a lot of people don't want to admit that, but you look at the offers that come after these Nike camps and things like that and college camp, uh, excuse me, college coaches are certainly paying attention to it. So now all of a sudden he's making his name for himself as a linebacker. So you're seeing Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, Miami, this, these schools coming back into the process and thinking, okay, maybe what do we miss? We'll go back and take a look and maybe press a little bit harder. So it's going to make it a little bit more difficult. Still, he seems uh, pretty solid with Penn State. He's going to check out some other schools. He's going to be back to Penn State and we'll see how that turns out. But Wingo, I think, is a fascinating case. And now all of a sudden, he's, uh, he's an All-American along with Curtis Jacobs. Yeah, and had a chance to speak with Curtis Jacobs on, uh, on Wednesday evening for a bit. Uh, I mean, I know he's excited to, to get on the same field, same defensive huddle, I'm sure, uh, with Derek Wingo. Typically, you'll see guys who are committed to the same program, uh, you know, end up in the same group in these games. You know, we'll see what happens there. I, I would imagine they will be both coming from the East Coast. Um, but with Wingo, I mean, look, I, I get that there's like some concern about, you know, he's got the athleticism. Is he definitely going to be a productive linebacker? It's not like he was, you know, flying around last year and not being productive. He, 12 tackles for loss and six sacks. Both of those were, were, were among team leaders for St. Thomas Aquinas, a team that got to another state championship game uh, last year. So I, I, I'm with you in the fact that there's going to be a transition period. I think like Lance Dixon, a guy who spent a lot of time you know, playing safety, playing a hybrid role. And interestingly enough, same thing from Curtis Jacobs. You know, Curtis Jacobs uh, told me he's still going to be you know, focusing in on safety as well as linebacker. He's really going to be concentrating there. He'll be playing wide receiver as well. Uh, but both of these guys right now are considered you know, top 150 prospects in composite rankings um, you know two of the top 10 outside linebacker prospects when you look at those composite rankings and just going back to that conversation real quick w- with Curtis Jacobs what he told me was that they were going to shock the world when they get a- on the field together now I don't know if they'll take too many people by surprise because they are high profile prospects uh, but he went on to describe himself and, and I think Penn State fans uh, will probably appreciate it he said that he was uh, essentially a killer out there on the field uh, and that if something got in his way on the football field, he would handle that business, and he thinks that's why he was selected. To the uh, All-American Boys said they appreciate players who play that way, and the aggressiveness is there for both of these guys. They're forging a relationship, and that'll continue in San Antonio. I, I don't know if you're aware of what's going to go on with Wingo in terms of potential early enrollment. Uh, we're not going to see Jacobs on the field uh, for Penn State until next summer because he will not be graduating early. Uh, but I know when these guys get to campus, you talk about what we're seeing at linebacker and just watching these guys in the field yesterday, you know, in stretches, I'm like, he's a former five-star, he's a former four-star, bunch of guys that were just extremely notable on the recruiting trail. It's starting to really come to fruition now on the field for Penn State, going to get better with that stockpile when these guys get to campus next year. That linebacker group has grown up really fast, and Curtis Jacobs, man, I, I, I'm very high on him. We popped him into the, uh, I think he's number 64 in the 24-7 sports rankings, um, but uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of potential with him, and, and beyond that, I mean, he does it on tape, he does it when he's testing, and he, you know, he's, he's one of those alphas out there, and I talk about that fairly often. When you put him on the field, whether you put him on the field at receiver or safety or linebacker or wherever, he's typically the best guy on the field and you want as many of those guys as you can 
Uh, we've talked about 47 minutes without getting into spring practice. We're just going to focus on the offense today. Um, you know, that's still something that uh, I, I think is coming along, and you don't know how much you're going to see of Tommy Stevens this year. Uh, you know, obviously going into the spring, Stevens, I think, is the number one guy. Clifford's going to get a lot of reps. Will Levis has gotten some buzz as well. I don't think, you know, I think there's a gap between those first two guys and Levis, but Levis is a guy that's 230 pounds running a 4'6". He's a freaking freight train, and he can throw it a mile. It's just a matter of him putting it together and, and seeing if he can make those decisions. So, um I don't think there's a ton of intrigue there. Stevens, of course, is going to be limited, but you know, like I said, I think he's the guy that has the leg up going into it. Clifford, if he can turn those heads, and I think he'll give it, be given every opportunity to do so. You know, he can do some some things as well. So that group as a whole, I don't see a ton of movement this spring. But with Tommy, you know, sort of sidelined, you know, Clifford's got a shot. Yeah, I think we still need a lot more clarity to to really, for me at least, to to really put two feet on on the fact that. Stevens is the obvious favorite to win this job. And, and there's no denying he has the edge. He's been on campus. He's taken his dues. Franklin has talked time and time again about the sacrifice he made and, and how he kind of bucked the trend across college football by not transferring and staying with the program and working towards this moment. Nothing about Tommy Stevens' attitude or what he means to this locker room or anything like that is why I'm concerned. Is Can he stay on the field? I, I, that is the issue with Tommy Stevens, and I think that is the wild card here because 2018 in so many ways was just lost for him. Wasn't involved with spring camp. Wasn't involved for most of preseason camp. Wasn't involved for almost all of September. Then suffered an injury some point midway through the season. Gets surgery after the regular season. Isn't involved for the bowl stuff. Don't know if he was involved with any of the bowl practices. That's a lot of time away from the field. That's a lot of reps. I know you're getting the mental reps. Ricky Ronnie has spoken about the importance of that. Uh, Trace McSorley talked about the accountability that Tommy Stevens showed uh, while while observing from the side and how engaged he still was uh, with those guys and everything he could do that wasn't physical. But it's still concerning that you know the first thing that that we hear about Tommy Stevens going into spring, and it's not a surprise if you follow the coverage, is you know he's limited. That's the word that, that Franklin used, um, and, and you know Franklin says he hopes to see Tommy Stevens at full go uh, by the end of spring camp, which you know it's a month of camp. Uh, you're going to have the blue white game April 13th, so it's not a long way from now. Uh, but he says, but I don't know. You know, there, there, there's not. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is. Uh, if you're having a QB competition, it's very hard uh, to declare a winner if both guys aren't 100% involved in that. So Sean Clifford can go out there and light it up, uh, but there's going to be a part of everyone who's still waiting to see what Tommy Stevens can do when he's 100% and what he's going to be able to accomplish. And at the same time, Tommy Stevens can go out there and and, and you know play really you know play really erratically, but at the same time you can say, well, what's going to happen when he gets to 100%? Is it fair to to judge him based on what we see now if he's not 100% physically because he needs to be? But I did notice 10 pounds down down to 230 from 240. You know he looks to be in, in pretty good physical shape. He was out there on the field yesterday. Uh, it's just hard for me to to say oh, Tommy Stevens. I'll be blown away if he's not the guy because he's got to stay on the football field. And then that's been a struggle for him. And, and this is a guy who, you know, you're asking to start 12 games for a power five program, a bunch of them in the big 10, got to get knocked around. I think he just got a lot to prove physically. And, and in the meantime, Sean Clifford keeps doing his thing and you hear great stuff about Will Levis, but clearly to me, Clifford's in a position where the reps keep mounting and, and, and the experience keeps coming and the trust keeps growing. He's got a major opportunity for as long as Tommy Stevens is limited I mean, Sean Clifford is going to have those expanded reps, and 
I just think it's going to be interesting. And, and obviously it would be a really unfortunate set of circumstances if Tommy Stevens can't get this thing together because he lost that job three years ago in that competition to Trace McSorley and has paid his dues to, to have another shot at it. And for him to not be full throttle to do that, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways to see that happen to a player. Yeah, and I think you make some great points. He does have to stay on the field, and that's a reason you have to have two or three guys ready because if he can't stay on the field, you know, it is Clifford's job. So uh, I think it's one of those situations where I think the intrigue is there, but at the end of the day, the results may be exactly what we expect them to be. So um, curious to see how that one plays out. Curious to see how much of how much of Tommy we see, and I'm not confident we're going to see a ton of him in the blue-white game, you know, regardless of how this plays out. So uh, interested to see how that goes. A guy that we've heard a lot about moving on to running backs, Journey Brown. Is, uh, you know, it, had somebody in the program told me probably nobody has had a better nine months since the start of last season than Journey Brown. A lot of that is off the field. Um, this is a kid that, you know, physically, you know, he, he makes uh, it, it makes sense why he was, you know, so, uh, I guess, productive in high school, not only in football, but in track. He's got the state record in the 100. So physically, he's never really been a question mark. But, you know, off the field, you know, there were academics uh, questions that, limited his recruitment and then that you know boiled over into after Penn State took him and there were questions about him keeping focus they've been able to keep him focused on uh, excuse me off the field long enough where it's sort of benefited him on the field and now I think you see a little slash between he and Ricky Slade Slade's a guy that added some weight in the offseason still learning to play with that so we'll see what happens I think it's a legitimate uh, or situation at the top of the depth chart at running back and I'm excited to see how it plays out because those are two home run guys I don't think it's about hitting the home runs I think it's about doing the things in between those home runs because because we know both those guys can run we know both those guys can break big things uh, break big plays excuse me Uh, it's a matter of moving the chains and doing things in between yeah during James Franklin's press conference to to open up spring camp he was asked directly is Ricky Slade at the top of the depth chart Uh, and you know he mentioned the word you just used it's probably a slash and then he spent about a minute you know, heaping a lot of praise on the development of Journey Brown, which I thought was extremely telling. Um, obviously, readers of Lines 24-7 uh, saw what Sean had to say and, and, and reporting a little bit about uh, Journey Brown's development uh, before spring camp, before the press conference. But I think uh, the thing that really stood out here, and it's a lot of what Jaywan Sider said towards the end of last year when he, we had a, an open session with him, and he talked about how Journey uh, had gone from you know a, a sprinter to a running back. Uh, what Franklin, the way he phrased it, he said, the other things are falling into place now. That's what he said. The other things are falling into place now. Went on to reference his confidence, his understanding of what they're trying to do, what he needs to do individually, collectively as an offensive unit. So, yeah, you talk about Buzz entering spring camp. It's not on the K.J. Handler level of what we saw last year, but Journey Brown is, if people were kind of overlooking him and just assuming, hey, the five-star Ricky Slade, it's his time, Ricky Slade's going to get plenty of action this year. There's no doubt about it. But I think don't be so quick to assume that Journey Brown's not going to state his case emphatically. And Noah Kane's going to have uh, something to say about that as well. It'll yep. be interesting to see how he fits in as a different style, different kind of back, and you know maybe the guy that moves the chains between the, the home runs. So um, wide receiver is kind of wide open at this point. Um, terrible. That wasn't even a pun. I apologize for that. I didn't even try it. But um, you build around KJ Hamler, Jahan Dotson, the starts they had last year uh, to their careers. But uh, really, uh, you know, a bunch of unknown after that. You've got a new wide receivers coach in Jared Parker. So you, you don't know what he's looking for. You don't know what kind of coach he is when you're talking about rotations and when you're 
talking about the things that he looks for. Um, obviously, I think, as I said it earlier, I think it's an upgrade because you've got a guy that's you know got sort of a wide receiver pedigree there, knows what uh, knows what he wants in those guys. And there's some interesting battles going on. Mac Hippenhammer playing baseball this spring a little bit more. So, you know, th- I think that's probably going to hurt him when you're talking about slotting yourself and making yourself uh, available for next season. Cam Sullivan Brown is back, but the, the, the two guys that I look to, uh, big chance for Daniel George and Justin Shorter. I mean, these are guys that, that they're very high on. The 2018 class, of course, Dotson did not use his red shirt last year. George and Shorter did. But the 2018 classes, if you ask anybody in the program, you know, just sort of a different uh, different feel about those guys. And, you know, Hamler's a, a very, very good player. I love watching him. Uh, these three guys have, have certainly, you know, stepped up to, to, to eventually be compliments to them. Shorter, uh, you know, had the injury in camp last year, sort of derailed his season, but uh, started to come on late in the year and in bowl practices. He still has steps to take. Daniel George, a physical guy that can get in there. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about testing, when you're talking about everything in winter workouts, they're very impressed with Daniel George. We'll have to see what he can do as a receiver. He's a little bit raw coming in. So there's potential there. Of course, George Campbell arrives in the summer. Uh, John Dunmore, T.J. Jones arrive in the summer as well, but uh, it is, there's still question marks. I, I, I don't think there's any question that uh, you know Penn State would like to maybe have a little bit more uh, continuity than they've had from the last year. Of course, Juwan Johnson, Brandon Polk, DeAndre Tompkins are gone, and you know you're not going to miss the drops and the inconsistency. But you know you, you've got a very uh, young wide receiver room that could could really use some guidance there. Yeah, depending on your natural viewpoint of things, pessimistic or optimistic, you could have a very different kind of outlook for this group, but you could say, uh, hey, no one has done anything outside of KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson, and Dotson's only started four games, and everybody has everything to prove still, and, and, and boy, oh boy, this looks like it could be a really bad situation. Or you could say, we've got a bunch of blue chip talent, and this is their time to make the move, and they're going to seize that opportunity. Now, we are not going to really know that, obviously, until we get into the season. Look, if you based it off of spring camp last year, you would have said Mac Hippenhammer was going to be in line to, had to have himself a breakout year. He had two touchdowns in that spring camp game, uh, had a touchdown against Pitt earlier in the year. Uh, I know, you know, Franklin alluded to him as one of their, you know, quote-unquote returning starters in, in his mind. But he's a guy who completely fell off the face of the earth in that offense the second half of the season. You know, the, just was not really involved. And now that he's full time in baseball this spring versus splitting time last year, hard to really fathom that that he would make a major move entering the summer. And I think you're right. The door is wide open for Daniel George, Justin Shorter. Both of those guys have the measurements, the ability. Uh, Daniel George uh, saw him uh, operating as a kick returner a little bit during practice session. Uh, so I think you know, there's a lot to like about both of those guys. And uh, from my point of view, and I, I think a lot of people felt like this, you, you were a little bit more high or maybe a lot more high on the freshman class of wide receivers last year than the red shirt freshman group of wide receivers collectively. I mean, no one can touch Hamler right now, but if you're kind of gauging that group of, of, of Sullivan Brown, Hippenhammer, Daniel George, and Justin Shoulder, those four guys, who do you think is going to step up? You're maybe leaning towards the younger guys and, and, and I'm not, you know, but maybe this sparks some motivation in Cam Sullivan Brown and and Hippenhammer. But again, Hippenhammer's away playing baseball. Cam Sullivan Brown, you know, put himself in the NCAA transfer portal. You know, so those two guys, I think Daniel George, Justin Shorter, at least one of them needs to step up, become a consistent contributor. But I think, you know, they may need to see what they got from those true freshmen, John Dunmore, TJ Jones, because if you don't come out of this uh, spring camp with feeling good that you have at least four or five guys that that you can count on 
Um, you know, there's going to be more questions to answer. They're always going to uh, want to cultivate that competition. George Campbell's coming in. Uh, so there's a lot more that's going to change after spring. But uh, I, I just think that you look across college football and, and opportunities you could ask for as a young receiver, this is the place to be. You're in an offense that has produced some pretty big numbers. You've got a wide receivers coach who has a nice track record. He was a heck of a, a player back in his day. So you've got a situation here where if you can seize it, you know, Justin Shorter, Daniel George, you could really be a formidable piece of this offensive group for the next two, three years uh, and entrench yourself in that role. But to this point, it's all speculation. I think the, the, the fans will side with whoever can catch the ball after last year. So uh, yes. we'll, we'll, we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, I'm going to move on to tight ends. Not going to spend a ton of time on there. There's, there's a couple of good ones in there. Pat Fryermuth, uh, freshman All-American last year. And uh, beyond him... You've got Nick Bowers, who, and I don't, I don't know that this is uh, anything that I've said on the podcast or not, but this is a potential draft guy, and 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 I know that he hasn't gotten a ton of time, but really, really good athletically, came on at the end of the year last year, so this is a guy that you know if you're looking for a guy that can sneak into the seventh round next year or something like that, I think Nick Bowers has that potential to do so. He's still the number two guy, um, you know, I think it's a formidable one-two punch. Jonathan Holland's still there. Zach Kuntz is coming along, by the way. I think listed two pounds or two or three pounds heavier than he was in the January roster, which people have just flocked to uh, the weight changes thing that we've did with uh, with Zach Kuntz. So you'd like to see him getting a little bit bigger. But for the most part, I think it's going to be a one-two punch, uh, Fryermuth and, ba- and Bowers, and we'll see how those guys play, uh, turn out. But I think there's a couple, a couple of really good ones there. Yeah, and I think two tight end sets are, are going to be a thing this year. I mean, they, they were a thing last year. I, I, it makes a lot of sense, though. Uncertainty at receiver right now, and Bowers, you know, seems very credible as a, as a fifth-year senior. And, you know, someone that Tyler Bowen can't say enough good things about what he brings to the field. Uh, and I, Bowers, I'm with you. I think he does look like an, uh, an NFL tight end, the kind of guys that not going to be your featured guy in the offense. But, yeah, he could be a nice reserve tight end and come up and, and help you do some different things uh, as a balanced guy at that position. Uh, and, and, you know, injuries are going to happen. Um, so I think tight end, uh, it's a spot where you like the depth there. I mean, Jonathan Holland – uh, assuming he stays with this team, you know, obviously he's a guy that that's somewhere we're wondering if he would maybe go the Danny Dalton route and, and look for a, 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 an open opportunity at somewhere else uh, to this point, he's with the team and, and he's somebody that's a pretty darn good, you know, third option to have a guy who's been around this program for a while has played in a significant amount of games. Zach Koontz, you know, everyone knows that he was, he was right up there with Pat Fryermuth. In fact, rated a little bit higher than Pat Fryermuth uh, in 24 seven composite rankings as a recruit. Uh, the development there, it, as we expected is, a, is behind Pat, but let's face it, as long as Pat Fryermuth stays in the field, it looks like you've got one of the best tight ends in the country and, and a guy that, that, that you can count on uh, for the next two years, see what happens after that. But he is a heck of a player and it doesn't sound like he's slowed down his development at all this offseason. He's a guy that has just continued to to confuse people in some ways because you look at him and you say, there's no way this guy is in his first year with our program. He's a dude, man. I mean, he's 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 really, really good. And he's a tight end and Koontz is a receiver, basically. I mean, that's that's where we're at right now. Koontz is gonna have to, you know, sort of maybe embrace the physical game a little bit more. We saw him in camp last year, or excuse me, in practice last year, catching, you know, ridiculous touchdowns over the first team defense. But you're not there's no guys that you throw in there just to, you know, throw a fade to or anything like that. So uh a 
potential future weapon, but I don't see him passing any of those guys just yet. The offensive line, probably the most interesting thing so far. Um, of course, we talked about Scruggs a little bit earlier. We'll start in the interior. Scruggs was a guy that they're very high on as a center and as a guard, and you can lump him in with Mike Miranda and C.J. Thorpe, where, where you know that right guard spot is open with Connor McGovern heading to the NFL, and there's going to be a competition there between Miranda and uh, excuse me, Miranda and Thorpe. But Scruggs would have been right in there. Scruggs would have been in with Menet. I still haven't ruled out Menet. You know, also playing guard as well. So. Just kind of the, the numbers take a hit. You're, you're talking about going from five guys, and, and Steven Gonzalez is probably going to be limited this spring in terms of his reps as a veteran guy. So you had the opportunity to, sh- to see a lot from those guys. So unfortunately, Scruggs not one of those guys, but really excited to see the Miranda Thorpe battle. Uh, Thorpe, you know, moved over to defensive tackle, but was actually ahead of Miranda at that point. Uh, Miranda, of course, played well when he was called upon late in the season. So you've got good options there. You don't have great numbers, but you've got good options there. You've got a couple of guys coming in, uh, Caden Wallace and uh, Salim Wormley coming in the summer, but you'd like to settle on those four, maybe five with Scruggs, interior guys, and play with those three spots. And and I think we would see some rotations with those guys because uh, not a ton of space between the, the top guy and the fifth guy. Yeah, and juxtaposition to Zach Coons, who everyone just wanted to see put all that weight on. Steven Gonzalez, that stood out to me. This kid's up to six foot four, three hundred and forty nine pounds. Uh, you're returning left guard. That I mean, I, I don't think he put all that. What is it, twenty four pounds or so that 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 increased from the last roster? I don't think that all happened since the Citrus Bowl. Uh, I don't I don't know where he goes from there. What what he'll be listed at when the season gets around? But that's something that stood out. Uh, that aside, though. That other guard spot is super intriguing. Um, you know, I, I think with C.J. Thorpe, there's a lot of excitement about him among the fan base, obviously. But uh, you know, he was naturally came up in the conversation with Franklin, and uh, Franklin, you know, confirmed what everybody uh, everybody has kind of been saying along this process that they just feel his ceiling on the offensive line is at an elite level, and that's where they can that but he can maximize his potential. They can maximize his, his potential, and because Franklin noted last October, you know, once we realized, whoa, uh, he's playing defensive tackle against Ohio State, something changed, and 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 the practice week before, Franklin said, look, he's playing there the rest of the year but we still really like him on the offensive line. We're going to have to have a conversation as a staff. And uh, so I think you know, that's incredibly intriguing. And and I you know, can't say it enough about Scruggs, a guy that could be a center for you, could be a guard for you. The development he's missing out on to, to step away, that certainly hurts you. But uh, I think if someone else to watch here, if he does land on the interior, not saying he's going to push, um, but Caden Wallace, very intriguing for me. I'll mention him in here with the guards because he's a top five guard in 24-7 composite rankings. But hopefully a lot of you heard our, our uh, interview with, with uh, Caden and his father on the last podcast. Um, and very clear from that conversation that he is open to it. The Penn State staff is open to it of him making that uh, a full-time transition to the perimeter, you know, staying there. Uh, but he's focused a lot on guard. I think he's somebody who could get there and, and be an interesting player because it's almost like he's already been in a college weight program uh, for six months because he's really, really kind of reinvented himself physically. We'll see how that one turns out. I think another interesting guy there is Bryce Effner, who played guard last year. Um, I think they were counting on him being a tackle this year with the numbers balancing out. There's only 10 scholarship guys on campus right now. Of course, with Scruggs gone, it's nine. But uh it's uh, it's one of those situations where they brought him in as a swing guy. They're going to try and do that in the future, is recruit guys like him as swing guys, and and you know I think is probably his 
his best chance to move up was at tackle. I think that were, that's where he fits long-term. He's more athletic than you probably would give him credit for just looking at him. He looks like a big, goofy kid, but uh, he can actually move. So we'll see what happens with Bryce Efner. He's got an opportunity to, to, to move back to guard if they want to do that. When you slide out to tackle, we talked about Rasheed Walker earlier. Um, I have Walker and Fries as the top two guys. Wigan and Holmes are a couple of guys that could uh, you know, potentially – fill out that two deep, or excuse me, Des Holmes, I guess we haven't mentioned him so far. Um, but you, you've got sort of numbers there. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think Alex Gellerstead was going to push to start this year. But when you lose guys like that, you lose depth, you lose numbers, it's going to hurt you in the long run. So we'll see where that goes with tackle. But uh, Walker is the guy that's getting the buzz. Of course, Fry has a lot, Fry's has more starts than I can remember. Uh, when I checked back and, and looked at his numbers a, uh, a week ago, um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Anthony Wigan, you're not sure what you have on the field with him. You've seen him in the weight room. You've got an opportunity to, to see where he's lacking, but you've also seen him in workouts, not just weight, weightlifting, but running around and moving around. Looks good moving around. And Des Holmes, who's continues to drop weight, continues to have people, you know, talk him up a little bit. Uh, he was at guard last year after Thorpe moved over. You need him at tackle. To me, he's a, he's a right tackle, uh, you know, a power guy in there. So be interesting to see how he develops as well. But again, numbers aren't great. You've got Efner potentially as the fifth guy at tackle. You've got him as potentially the fifth guy in the interior now as well. So numbers aren't great and missing on a tackle, uh, you know, missing on Nana, not missing on Nana, but not having Nana in there hurts missing on a tackle in 2019, like Ja'Kai Moore hurts. So this is a, a, a delicate number situation that they're going to have to deal with for the next probably year and a half. Now, plenty of focus will be placed on that competition for the vacant tackle spot, uh, rightfully so. But to me, just as important, if not more important, is Will Fry's development. Is he ready to take that next step and assert himself as an all-conference caliber lineman? A uh, little underwhelmed overall in, in 2018 um, by, the, by the body of work put together. He had a lot of trouble winning that job out right out of camp. Um, you know, credit to Chaz Wright, obviously, for, for not, you know, conceding the, the, the job. Uh, but uh, Will Fries, to me, you know, we've seen him on both sides of the offensive line now, right tackle, left tackle. Uh, he made his first career start at tackle against Michigan in that whiteout game back in 2017 against one of the nation's better defensive fronts, handled himself well. But game to game, I think there just needs to be more consistency, especially when you're talking about the veterans who have left. Now, you've got Steven Gonzalez inside. Uh, you've got a center now with a year's worth of experience, but Will Fries needs to be someone who is going to be extremely accountable on that huddle and someone who's going to set the tone game in, game out. Because you get into the Big Ten against the teams you need to beat, they are stocked full of guys who can just crush you off the edge, going to have a first-year starting quarterback back there. So whoever wins that other job, whether Rasheed Walker, Anthony Wigan, Holmes, go down the list. To me, just as important is, is Will Fries ready to be a more formidable offensive tackle for you, someone who's going to go from, you know, uh, your your maybe your fourth or fifth guy on the line, and someone who's coming off the field for different series. Can he go to be someone who's not going to miss a snap, and someone you need out there, and someone who's going to again be all conference caliber? Because I think that's what you need uh, to be a successful offensive team this year. You're going to need to be relying upon a consistent offensive play, and to me, a lot of that is going to be rooted in what you get out of Will Fries. I, I agree. I mean, he's we sort of take him for granted as a returning starter, but at the end of the day, I mean, he, there were times last year he was just not very good and you know, got pulled from a couple of games. So, uh, you know, improvement is necessary there. 
Walker, you're not sure what you have. You, you, you see the raw talent with him, but when, until you get some experience out there, it's, it's a little bit different. Wiggins, you, you haven't seen him. And then Des Holmes has bounced from tackle to guard. So plenty of questions at tackle. I mean, it's a little bit different in the spring. I mean, you're looking, to, you're looking for four or five guys in the spring that can help you whittle down to three guys. You know, th- Penn State's played with three tackles the last couple of years. And, and on the interior, you've got five or six guys you, you like to get down to four, maybe five guys. So uh, a little bit different in the, in, in the opportunities available in the spring. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's uh, probably won't be able to take a ton away from it, but uh, you know, you're going to have to need to get that in, uh, in order at some point. And Sean, I wouldn't be surprised if it plays out like it did last year, where at least one of these positions goes into the regular season on resolve, where you had Chaz Wright, uh, Will Fry's balancing act at right tackle last year. Could see something like that at right guard, maybe, maybe the other tackle position. You've got Idaho and Buffalo coming to Beaver Stadium the first two weeks. Nice time to figure out what you've got. Yeah, and, and if you don't have scrubs, you've got to find that second center because that's so important because uh, you can move Mennon around if you need to. You could slide uh, Mike Miranda in at center and poss- possibly move Mennon out to guard, or Thorpe could fill in there at guard. Miranda couldn't, can play any of the three positions. So, so important to find out. And that's, and that's what sucks about losing scrubs because you've got, you had a guy that could play both as well. So, um, it's, uh, I think it's a long way from being resolved, but again, you know, it's, it's like we, t- we talked about with quarterback, it might be intriguing right now, but it also may be the same result that we expect going into it. So, uh, tough to say, um, uh, but we've talked for an hour and 12 minutes. We haven't talked defense. Well, I guess we'll talk defense next time. Um, but, uh, that should be it. Anything else on, on your mind right now? No, I, th- I think we I think we owed a solid seventy two minutes after our little vacations, and uh, again, uh, sad to always sad to end a vacation as always. But uh, coming back for the right time, football pads are on. These guys are hitting, and all these recruits we've been talking about for years in some cases, officially members of this roster, and and the beat goes on. McSorley, by the way, that was the one thing. Watching Trace McSorley watch practice uh, on Wednesday was bizarre and it just all of a sudden Brandon Smith's out there in a, in a Penn State uniform and Trace McSorley's in street clothes on the sideline tells you everything about college football it is you know it, it moves fast and, and these guys uh, I'm sure appreciate it Miles Sanders, Amani Warrior, Trace McSorley all watching by the way pro day coming up next Tuesday so we'll have you covered uh, on that at Lions 24-7. Yep, and I think that'll about do us. And by the way, Kaziah Izzard from uh, DeMatha, as we were recording, said he's coming to campus this weekend. Steve Wilfong put his crystal ball in for Penn State. I don't remember if I have one, but if I did have a crystal ball, it would be for Penn State. I have no doubt that Penn State's the favorite right there. So uh, other than that, I think that's probably about it. Thank you guys for listening. Again, uh, we'll try and get those missing episodes back up on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. And oh, uh, I wanted to shout out to Matt, who's a, a listener who sent his girlfriend to my kid's school to get my autograph. It was amazing last week. I, yeah, I, I was surprised too. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually a really funny situation that didn't play out like that at all. But uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you're still sticking with us after an hour and a quarter, uh, God bless you. But uh, we'll be back uh, next week to record a little bit more, talk a little defense, a little bit more recruiting, more visitors and such. Um, but thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast.